Well, good morning, everyone. So good uh, to be with you this morning, to see you. Uh, after Mark Hewen, uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Hewen spoke to us last week, him being the uh, lecturer in New Testament studies at Laidlaw College, um, I chose a passage from the Old Testament uh, this week to look at. Um, I know my place, eh? So. <laughs> I also made a bit of a faux pas when I uh, gave the, the Facebook blurb to Shireen um, to put up there. I, it said, we've come to the end of our biblical narrative. And, and Becky uh, quite rightly pointed out to me that actually we haven't. Um, in a few weeks' time, we're getting to the very last chapter, the new heavens, the new earth, uh, the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And um, in the meantime, what we're doing is we're looking at our part in the story. Uh, what part do we play uh, in the story? Uh, and uh, that's what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, three or so weeks. We've got some guest speakers coming in to talk about how they're living out their faith in their context. And uh, that's just going to be uh, really exciting. We've got a beautiful, refreshed new uh, worship space um, to aid us in living out our story as well. And uh, that's just really exciting. Uh, for us as we uh, continue and move forward in our series. Um, but I'd also like to take a leaf out of perhaps the, the greatest one, or perhaps the greatest teacher's uh, book, I guess you call it, leaf out of his book, is that the saying? Um, Jesus. Um, he told parables, so I, I thought I would tell a parable that's not actually in the Bible, so I hope you don't mind that. Um, you know, on, on a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred, uh, there was once a little lifeboat station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, every day, every night, they would go out in search of people who were lost at sea. Now, some of those who had been saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station. They gave of their time, they gave of their money, and they put effort into its work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, and commitment and energy was at a high. That little life, lifeboat station grew and grew. Now some members of the lifeboat station were unhappy that the building was so poor and crudely equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided, especially as the first refuge for those just plucked from the sea. So they replaced the emergency hammocks with beds and put better furniture and made a bigger building. Now the lifeboat station became a popular gathering place for its members. They decorated it, they furnished it beautifully, and they started using it as a, a sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going out on life-saving missions. So they hired a lifeboat crew to do the work for them. Life-saving pictures and mementos decorated the club's walls where official meetings were held. And about this time, a large ship was wrecked just off the coast. The hired crews went out and saved boatloads of people. They came back to the station cold, wet, and half-drowned. They were dirty and sick. They had different personalities, different temperaments, and from different cultures and backgrounds. Well, this beautiful club was in chaos. So the committee immediately had a shower house built outside of the club so that when the victims came into the club, they would be nice and clean. At the next meeting, the club membership was divided. 
Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities, since they were most unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a lifeboat station. However, they were finally outvoted and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all types of people who might be shipwrecked, they could begin their own lifeboat station somewhere else further down the coast. And so they did. Well, as the years went by, similar changes took place in the new station as well. It also evolved into a club, and consequently, another lifeboat station found that was founded somewhere else. History continued to repeat itself, and on that sea coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that coastline. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most people are never reached or saved. Although this is not a biblical parable, I think it cuts to the heart of one of the biggest dangers of the modern church, doesn't it? The danger of losing our core focus and purpose. What are we here for? Why do we exist? What has God called us to be and do? And for the, us as the church, for the people of Jesus Christ, that is proclaiming the gospel and seeing people who do not know Jesus come to know him and put their hope and their trust in him. That is what our mission is. Just up the road, we have a wonderfully renovated new building. Well, not new building, a new old building renovated on the inside. It's got new paint, new lights, comfortable chairs. Fancy, new, clean, and clear displays for visuals. <coughs> We're putting in new presentation software. A sound system uh, and the tech team have been in and tweaked uh, the system to optimize the sound quality. And the carpet will be freshly steam cleaned. But next Sunday, all things going to plan when we gathered in this new space bowing down before Jesus to worship and to magnify him, honouring God for the gifts that he's given us, as we use our voices to again sing of his praise and his wondrous deeds, someone is going to bump the paint. Maybe they'll chip it. Maybe some beautiful, precious little child who's teething will stand on one of those chairs, turn around and sink his teeth and drool into the back of it, creating a beautiful little stain of his gorgeous little lips. Someone may spill coffee on the carpet. And you know, there's a high chance that as clumsy as I am, I will trip over a chair, crash into the newly painted wall, and spill my coffee all over a new chair and the freshly cleaned carpet. And since I'm leading worship next week, I very may well be responsible for the music being too loud, the songs not being to everyone's liking, there not being enough hymns, not being enough contemporary songs. And if it doesn't happen next week, it's going to happen sometime. And if it doesn't happen the next Sunday, maybe it'll happen every Sunday from here on until Jesus comes back. But so what? Our core mission is not to be a contemporary furniture boutique <laughs> or a museum of Presbyterian paraphernalia. We're not a concert hall, classical, rock, or hip-hop, nor is it a place where eloquent speeches are given, or weird ceremonies happen, or a social club? 
our building, us as GPC, exist because Jesus Christ died for us, rose again to offer us eternal life, has poured out His Spirit upon us and gathered us together as His people for the express mission of expanding His kingdom, His rule and His reign in Glendowie, in Auckland, New Zealand and around the world. Our buildings are simply a resource which better enable us to fulfill our purpose and our mission to bring people to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They are not the end goal in themselves. If we get caught up on the things that do not matter, we will lose our focus and the core of what our mission is that God has called us to do and to live out. And we'll become like the lifeboat rescue club in that story I just told. We'll lose relationship with the people who are most important to Jesus. Well, the good news is that we have been called to continue on that story. The story that Jesus has called us into. Our charge is to continue the story that we've been looking at over the last few months. The biblical story. The story of the universe, the history of this world. And our buildings, us as a community, have a vital part to play in that. And so this morning I want to encourage us to continue the story. And I really felt uh, God point me uh, in the direction of Psalm 96. Uh, and Paul in, in the New Testament encourages the church in Ephesus in chapter 5. He says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, and so I think they probably would have encouraged each other in their mission uh, using Psalm 96. That's a massive <laughs> assumption, I know, um, but what I like to think about. Um, so, as we look to Psalm 96, and um, it's my phone here. I've, I've, I didn't bring a Bible down this morning, so I'm going to be going off my phone Bible, which um, I'm, I'm not so good with, but if I get a little bit lost with my scriptures, <coughs> forgive me. So Psalm 96, uh, Malcolm read that to us, and... Um, uh, let's, lay, let's lay some groundwork before we, we get into it. Uh, when uh, it comes to Psalm 96, scholars agree on, on a number of things. Firstly, it was what is known as an enthronement psalm, right? which means it was written to be used at the coronation of a new king. It was probably, secondly, also plagiarized from other ancient Near Eastern cultures. Other ancient Near Eastern cultures around Israel had their own enthronement psalms, and they probably took one of these songs, one of these um, uh, liturgies that they had and they just kind of subbed in the name of, of Yahweh for it. There's complete plagiarism. Uh, the third thing was it was used liturgically. So it was actually spoken and sung by the people as part of the ceremony for the king being enthroned. Uh, and the fourth thing is that it was based on <coughs> Psalm 29. But Psalm 29 is focused in the heavenly realms of the uh, praises and worship of the new king uh, in the heavenly realms, whereas Psalm 96 is very much grounded in an earthly framework. And so there's three things that I want to look at uh, this morning uh, that I think we get out of Psalm 96, and, um, and we'll, we'll get through those uh, fairly promptly. Alright, so the first thing is, a new king means a new future. A sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. A new song was literally written and sung when a new king or deity took over in the ancient Near East. It's closely associated with the new reign of a new king. 
There's also a summons as well. If we look at the first couple of verses of Psalm 96, there's an imperative given six times. Sing, 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 bless, tell, declare. It's called to grab our attention. Something has, has happened. There is a reason to sing. There is a reason to tell. There is a reason to declare. Why? Because with a new king on the throne, there is a new rule, a new reign, there is a new future, there are new possibilities, and a new reality is about to take place. There is hope for the future. Immediately, that speaks to us as followers of Jesus, doesn't it? That is exactly what we think has happened in Jesus Christ. There is a new king. Just when we thought the world had gone to the dogs, out of control, under the regime of crazy politicians, people with excessive amounts of wealth, power and influence, think again. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus doesn't need a peculiar shaped spaceship to go and see what our space looks like. He created space. For those of you who don't know, look up Jeff Bezos and his rocket ship, uh, which he just took to basically the fringes of space. Uh, isn't it amazing that the most powerful and influential people in our world spend billions of dollars just to spend four minutes in space? Jesus created that. He didn't just create the edge of the atmosphere of our our planet, but he also created galaxies far away, billions of stars, all for his glory. Jesus is the new king. Jesus is the one who has true life in him. Of course, we know this because of his resurrection. Jesus has made a way, he's bridged the gap between us and our creator, the one who made us. Jesus has reconnected us with the one who has designed us and knows what it means for us to live life in all its fullness, to, to know what life, to know what we really need in order to live life. If you believe in Jesus, you are connected through him to the creator of the universe, the life giver, the sustainer, the provider of all that there is, the one who holds history in the palm of his hands. Jesus has taken away that barrier. You have access to God through Jesus. You have access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Which means you have access to peace in the most troubling of times. It means you have access to healing, physical, emotional, historical, because God is the one who created you and wants to put your heart back together wants to heal your body, wants to give you the vision of the new heavens and the new earth, when all sickness and death will be wiped away forever. You have access to humble confidence. Because when you experience the love of God filling your heart, you know God is so for you. But it doesn't matter who is against you. Nothing can separate from you, you from his love and the affirmation that he has for you as his son or his daughter. A new king reigns and is enthroned on high. This new king has a new future for you. Is he your king? 
The psalm is a celebration that that future now belongs to God, not to the feeble idols who are in fact agents of chaos. And this forces us, this is a message that the world needs to hear, and it forces us Sorry. The psalm is a celebration. I should read my script instead of just going off the cuff like that. The psalm is a celebration that the future now belongs to God, not to the feeble idols who are in fact agents of chaos. And this is exactly what the world needs to hear. Those forces that we've given into, those things that we are serving, that we think have the best interest of our lives, are actually pathetic, mere idols. The things that we let dictate our lives cause chaos, not satisfaction, and will only leave us feeling like we've wasted our lives and like there is no future, or that our future is all for nothing. But to sing a new song means to turn from those idols because the future now belongs to God. As we come to verse 2 then, verse 2 tells us, I'm not going to go through verse by verse as well, don't worry about that. It's, like, you're like, verse 2, it's like, yeah, verse 2, what? It's like 12 verses. Um, verse 2, uh, the second, it brings out the second point. A new future means a new narrative for your life. Verse 2 also tells us, that the future now means we each have a new narrative for our life. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his salvation from day to day. The saving acts of God are to be on your lips and in your mind every day. What the psalmist is saying to the people is that the new framework for looking at the world is through the eyes of this new future with this, which this new king brings your way. Singing this new song to the Lord, blessing his name, giving glory to him, is to be done in the salvation of his, in the context of salvation. Do you view your life, the narratives, the daily stories of your life that you are living out, do you view them in the midst of this bigger narrative? The narrative of God bringing the whole world back to himself. Do you know that the hardships and trials and devastations, as well as the joys and uh, celebrations that come your way, are all a part of this bigger story? As we're going to see in a few weeks, we know the end of this story. All the events in your life are working to this common end, which God is bringing the world to. Do you make Jesus' salvation of the world the daily narrative of your family's life, of your personal life. I'm pretty sure I've said it before, but there's a real power in saying, we do X, Y, and Z because we are Christians. Or we don't do X, Y, and Z because we are Christians. We follow Jesus. We believe that He is Lord. If you say it to your spouse or your children or your parents, it gives ownership, it gives identity, and helps us embody the narrative that we belong to Jesus. And we are a part of bringing this world under the rule and reign of our King. This daily narrative must form 
identity of our lives. The third thing that this psalm tells us is a new future and a new hope, a narrative for our life, is news that needs to be shared. Verses 7 through to the end, 7 to 13. That will go from verse 9. Worship the Lord in his splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge all the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult. Let everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes and he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Everyone needs to hear of this new king. Everyone needs to hear of this new future. Everyone needs to know that there are new possibilities for every decision in their lives, every moment of life. Every negative thing that happens, God can redeem that. And as the people of God, as we continue this story, as we own this narrative, we've got to trust in the gospel. The simple message that God loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, and that he's raised him up into newness of life, and as we place our trust in Jesus, that hope can be ours too. It is a simple message, but it is the power of God to transform and change lives. Romans 1.16 The gospel is the power, God's power for salvation. For us, we just need to tell people. The rest is up to God. <coughs> For us, continuing on the story is identifying our lives in that narrative and speaking about it. Telling the nations, essentially in the context of the psalm, was telling those people who did not know God. Remember, Israel was God's people, the only nation in the world, sent to be a blessing to the rest of the world. So the nations around them are those who do not know God. And so for us, we are to tell of the splendor and the majesty and the story of this new king enthroned on high. It's simple, but it's powerful. Is Jesus your king? Is the story of your life linking into the story of our king? And are you taking every opportunity to tell those around you of our great king who loves us? In a few weeks, on the 26th of September, 26th of September, uh, we are having a service of baptism. Uh, a first service of a reaffirmation of uh, your baptismal vows and commitment and dedication to God if, if you've already been baptised. Or perhaps of confirmation if you've also been baptised and that's the way that you want to go. But an opportunity for people to publicly declare that Jesus is Lord and King of their lives. If you've never been baptised, but you believe in Jesus and you trust in him, come and talk to Becky and I after the service. 
Because this is one way, this is perhaps the first and greatest step that we, which we can take in our lives as uh, people of the kingdom, of servants of Jesus, as his people, to publicly declare what he has done for us. Not only in word, but also in action. In a powerful statement that says, I'm giving my life, or I'm rededicating my life to serve Jesus. And to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his mission, to be a part of his story in this world. If that's you, I really encourage you, come and speak to us. Don't think, oh, well, the time's not right. The time will never be right. There's no time like now to give your life to Jesus and to publicly declare that you are living for him. So can I commend that to you? Please come and speak to us. We've got a fantastic opportunity, uh, not only now, but in, in the months and in the years ahead. As we come back into our beautifully refurbished church, uh, as we uh, look towards the possibilities uh, that the next few months and years have in store for us, we have a real opportunity to invite people to come in here. We have the opportunity to bring people into the narrative of our lives, which will be the narrative of God's kingdom, so that they can taste and see and hear that God is good and God has done great things for them and has new things in store for them if they would trust in him. Can I encourage you, actively seek to be a part of this story. Actively hold Jesus in the fore of your minds as the new king enthroned in heaven over all the earth. And actively seek opportunities to share this good news with everyone whom you meet. Pray to God and he'll find a way to give those opportunities to you. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us to be more than a club. We thank you that you call us to be more than people who care about a building. You care, you call us to be more than people who care more, more than just doing good things. But Lord, you call us first to be people who are loved by you so that we can truly love those around us and the world around us. You call us together to be your people in this place, to be your hands and feet in this world, to not only show but to tell the world of your great love and your goodness and the hope that there is in Jesus our King. So Lord, as we consider these things, as we ponder what King Jesus means for us, as we give ourselves afresh to your purposes, as we seek opportunities to share your good news, Holy Spirit, would you fill us up and awaken our eyes and ears and minds to those opportunities you're giving us to truly live for you and to grow your kingdom in this place. Bless us, we pray. Amen. Um, yeah.